Blog Talk Radio. And welcome to Teach Me to Talk, the podcast. So excited that you've joined us today. And for those of you who listen all the time and listen regularly, and I know that there are tons and tons and tons of y'all because you email me about the show and give me your feedback all the time. Uh, This is a follow-up show. We have Madeline back with us. Hi, Madeline. Hello. So glad she came back. So this is show number 333, and Madeline was back in on show number 325 back in January. So if you have not listened to that show, if you're just picking, this is your very first show to ever listen to, uh, go back and listen to 325 first because that was the the first show that we did about the little guy that she's going to talk about today, and she's got some great things to report about him. We uh, do you want to just kind of give us a summary of, of kind of what we talked about in January, Madeline? Kind of give us how old he is, little uh, kind of a brief recap of what was going on with him, what your questions were, just kind of a little background blip. Do you mind that? Sure. Yes. So this is a two-year-old boy who receives home health speech therapy he is very busy and is a runner and a climber. I am <laughs> suspecting he has autism. He has a lot of red flags, but is not yet diagnosed. And he wasn't yet ready to sign at the time. I was trying to work on sign language, but he wasn't quite ready um, when yeah. I last spoke to you. And we were working on, you know, imitation and simple turn-taking back at that time. Okay. All right, and you said that he's a twin. He is a twin. Did you twin. already say that again? I'm, okay. No. Twin, so mom had a lot of lot on her plate, so that's kind of a big part of that, and I want us to really always keep that in our minds when we're talking about kids and progress and because follow-through and buy-in and all of those things. And so this is, let me just say, if you're a parent listening to the show right now, my guess is you don't have a problem with those things because <laughs> you are a committed enough parent of a lay talker to try to gather information on your own. And so you're out there listening to podcasts and reading websites and doing everything you can independent of what's going on in therapy. So I've just found that a lot of times our audience here, when I'm addressing things and talking about parental commitment, participation and stuff, sometimes parents get a little, uh, they they don't realize kind of what we see on the other end of that (laughs) as therapists who are trying so hard to help parents understand these are things that you can't just work on one time a week. And, yes, kids do get better in therapy sometimes without a lot of parental participation, and that is certainly true. But when we have kids with significant issues like this little guy that you're describing, who's almost th- – actually, he's turned three now. Did, isn't his yes. birthday this month? Yeah. Yeah, who mm-hmm. you worked with him for a good long time, like not quite a year, like what, eight or nine right. months maybe? Right. Yeah, yep. so for a long time, yep. and he had speech even before that. But this is a really significant issue for him to only have – uh, to, to not be really communicating and talking as he's turning three. That goes well beyond our kind of realm of late talker or late bloomer where kids who've, you know, waited until they were 24 months to start 
talking, that kind of thing. So he has a significant issue. And so my whole point about this little long-winded conversation here, this part of this, is we're going to always do better with parents who are completely committed. And certainly parents listening to this show would fall into that category. But there are a lot of parents who aren't like that. And a lot of times the the main barrier for participation, I think, is just being really, really overwhelmed. And whether that's there's another kid in the house, there are lots of other children in the house, whether they work 60 hours a week, whether they're a single parent, I mean, all of those real-life realities, <laughs> to repeat myself there, really prevent a lot of parents from fully doing what we know that they would and could make a big, big difference. So I don't want to go super negative about that, and I mean, I don't do that anyway, but I just want to be sure that we mention that, that this mom has been, she's had a pretty full plate. That's that's fair to say, right? Yes. I'm actually glad you brought this up because that was a huge barrier for me. I was highly recommending services for an hour a week, whether it was one full hour or two half-hour sessions, and mom just thought that was too much for her with everything else going on because this kiddo gets different services as well, such as OT. Right, and I was about to say, and I think, too, if I remember correctly, he had a pretty big team. So he's had speech, he's had OT, he had, uh, didn't you say, a developmental person? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so three different services, three different providers. And, you know, that's why a lot of the consultative model kind of sprung up like it did because the theory anyway – and we're not going to get into whether we all agree with this or not because, my goodness, that's a loaded show. But the theory is that less providers less would be less overwhelming for moms and dads. But I think sometimes that just wasn't enough. Fewer services, less time isn't good enough for many, many, many children who are in early intervention services. And so that can kind of backfire, and particularly, I think, for um for a kid, again, who has really significant and global developmental delays. So um, so that was kind of an issue that you had with this little guy, with getting getting mom fully on board with that. And, again, we, we understand why, but that, that's a reality of early intervention, too. And it's actually the reality of any family, whether no matter where and when they get early intervention services. It doesn't matter if they're two or if they're nine, (laughs) if parents aren't really able to work with them on a really consistent basis and really incorporate these things into their daily lives, they're not going to do as well if they just had more intervention time. And it doesn't matter who's providing that, whether it's mom or school or whatever. So, you know, I'm, I'm glad that we talked about that. And, again, we're not doing it to really be negative about this family and this situation. It's just a reality. And so that's certainly something that you dealt with there. So so thinking about that, Madeline, and we talked about this in, kind of in our little pre-conversation for the show, with it's always good after you've had a hard kid to go back and look and say, what were my issues, what would I do differently next time, because that just gets you better and better and better and you're ready for the next kid. So specifically with the parent education piece or with the parent participation piece, what do you think you would have done differently? Or what did you, what did you what, do you, what will you do differently next time? Well, when I came in, I was taking over for another speech therapist. So yeah. it was already part of the routine that mom would be in the other room with the other um, twin. 
and not participate in the session. So I would have loved the parent participation. And I try right. to encourage it, but I don't want to overwhelm mom either. If it's, you know, if I'm choosing between therapy or no therapy, I mean, I'd rather have mom in the other room than him not get therapy at all. So that's kind of where exactly. I thought I was with him. And, you know, that's just a real-life decision, too, you know, with you have to really weigh. And we feel like we're walking the fence a lot of times with, I'm, I've got to balance this, what if she cuts out therapy altogether because I'm too pushy or I'm too insistent, and you know that that's not the best-case scenario for that kid. And so we do have to walk that tightrope sometimes of saying, this isn't what I, the best for this. This is nowhere near even good enough, but this is what we've got to work with. So Exactly. So I would... I just got into the routine of filling mom in at the end of the session, and this is what worked well, and these are some things you can continue. And right. uh, that that was about it, you know, just a couple minutes of a recap. Yeah, and some parents can make that work. I mean, certainly clinical settings, therapists practice like that all the time, but it really, I just, I just know you feel this way too. We get a lot more accomplished when mom is right there or dad or nanny or grandma or whoever, and we've really got an adult that's committed and participating and understanding what you're doing instead of the kind of wave, goodbye at the end, good luck, see you next week. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Especially yeah. for saying, kids under was, three. Yes, yes. And so, okay, well, that was good. Let's kind of talk about, too, we haven't said the big thing, that his big progress that you've noticed in this last couple or that you achieved in this last couple of months. So go ahead and share kind of where, where he was and then where he is now and some of the progress that you, sh- that you were able to make. Sure. So previously I had a lot of babbling, which is still going on now. But now he has yeah. some functional words. So when I Yay! arrive, he's greeting with I'll hi. For a big, a, a big round of applause. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I talked over you there. I'm sorry. You'll have to repeat that. You'll have to tell us what, no his, word, what his words are. Yeah, so when I enter the room, he's saying hi and waving. And Good. when I'm gathering my things and ready to go, he's saying bye before I say goodbye. So that was really oh, impressive. Very fun. That is impressive. Yes, it is. Yeah. And then our other big thing was um, with toys or social games, whatever we were doing, we were doing a lot of ready, set, and I would give him a minute, and then he would eventually say go. And that was something uh-huh. we practiced a lot where he would just look at me and wait for me to say go. Then eventually right. he started filling in the word go. And how did you get him that to was do exciting it? Just simply wait. That is exciting. Did you just, was it just the waiting him out a little bit, just doing it over and over and over and over and over? and Over and over. Really? Yep. Yeah. Lots of repetition. So, and also repetition from the developmental interruptions, too, I got to work with a little bit as well. So that was very nice to have that collaboration piece for this guy. Very good. So did he, other other little verbal routines, um, let me just say this. I'm not going to say did he do this or do that because you said that he's transitioned to school-based services because he's turned three or turning three, correct? Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, so we can't. So here's our thing with talking with Madeline about this little boy. We're going to take what he did, but then really talk about well, if he had done this, you know, this might have been a direction, or if he had done this, but it doesn't really matter for this little guy. I mean, it does. 
but at the same time, you're not seeing him anymore. <laughs> so we're right. going to. Oh, phone. So we're going to move on with, um, you know, application with you know for the next kid, for the next little guy. That's kind of like that. So, um, any, did he get any other little verbal routines going, like ready, set, go? Because that would have been my next little thing. Was okay. This is his learning style. He likes a lot of repetition. He likes a lot of sameness. Right. He can he can tie a word you know, that's highly dependent on context, like high and by. Like he's not really saying high and by at an inappropriate time. So he's using it appropriately, right? Right. So his other thing, we did a lot of, once he got the ready, set, go very well, he's actually now ready. To, he's now able to say ready, set, go. He says all three pieces. Exactly. And so then I Perfect. switched to one, two, three. And Perfect. mom has been practicing this a lot with him, and he actually can count to ten. And he loves Ooh, counting. Good. Yeah. 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 And so, see, that's a little guy just hearing that. I hope that as a therapist, other therapists listening are thinking, ding, 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 ding. I have a winner. I know what he can do verbally. <laughs> it's a verbal routine. And so, you would do exactly what you just did. If you have a kid that can get go, you see if they can get the set go part, and then you see if they can do the whole ready set go. And then you think, okay, they've got that. Let's move on. Let's try another fun initiation routine, like ready, set, go comes at the beginning to initiate. So let me teach him one, two, three. You know, and you've got your high and your by that are really, again, context dependent. So with kids like that, you think, I'm going to double down on verbal routines. I'm going to figure out what I can repeat in sessions and what mom can repeat in daily routines and what we can teach the other therapists to do. And we're all going to work on the same thing. Because, again, I think repetition um, was critical for him based on what you're saying. So that's, that's how you expand that and how you decide, well, this is, my, this is my door to words here. I've got to make it highly repetitive and highly dependent on <laughs> this certain activity so that he can learn it and do it and use it. Then you'll increase, you know, again, you're increasing your frequency, you're increasing your variety, so tons and tons of good things with that strategy. Yes. So, so another good for you. Good. Yay. Go <laughs> another um social game we started doing was patty cake and uh-huh. just taking his feet and clapping them together and you yeah. know making it very mobile, moving his feet around. Oh, roll it around and throw it in the oven. And he would just giggle and giggle and then give his feet to me to do it again. So that was his request. Oh, so initiating that way. That was lovely. Yeah. Yeah, and he would even initiate, even if we were doing another game, he would lie on his back and just throw his feet up, ready to play. Perfect. See, that's perfect, and that's a great example of, you know, you said about him before, I remember you saying he's so tactile. He's so, he's got to move. He's so busy. And so that's how we know, too, with those little guys, boy, to get them engaged, I'm going to use that touch that they crave and put it in this context where he's dependent on me to get the feedback that he needs. And so that's what that little, let me give you my feet here, <laughs> because that exactly. feels so good. And, and you tied it to you. You tied it to a pleasant interaction with you. And so I, I, I like your word there. You know, that was lovely. You know, that, and that feels so good when a kid isn't engaged 
and then you ha- you find a, uh, something that works with them, and you teach it to them to the point that they're even able to give it back to you when they initiate. And he remembered, and he did it with you. So let me ask you this: Did he play that exactly. with mom? No. Okay. He did not play it with mom. We told mom about it, and that was about it. Did he play it with the DI? Yes. Yes. She Good. Was okay. So we did generalize um, with somebody else who kind of got yes. that going. Yeah. Yeah. And exactly. so, guys, you know, this is really important for other therapists and parents to hear. You've got to teach other people your tricks. <laughs> You've got to teach other people, hey, this is when I noticed that he looks at me the best. It's when we're doing these fun little social routines and, you know, mom here, okay, you know, we've already got peekaboo and we've added patty cake and we don't just do patty cake with his hands. Now we're going to do patty cake with his feet. I want you to say ready, set, go. And again, you give mom really specific instances and you say, you know, let's come up with five times during the day that you could say ready, set, go with him. Well, we know we could do it if you're going to go out the door. We know you could do it if you're playing cards. You know, and again, you walk through those really specific things. And I think that is the biggest help with the parental participation piece because a lot of times, again, we talked about parents are just overwhelmed. That might be the number one reason they don't do things. You know, even with just their time or their emotional responses to everything going on with their children. But then the second biggest barrier, I think, is moms do not know what to do. They simply, they've got good maternal instincts as far as I'm going to keep him, you know, fed and keep him clean and make sure he gets enough sleep, all those things. They take care of that, and so maternally they're on those physical things, but they just don't have the interaction piece themselves. And so unless we give them really specific activities and directions, they're just kind of lost. And so I think that's a big piece when we have parental participation issues. Just teach them one or two new little routines to do and then say, you know, let's come up with three times a day or five times a day or you know, when 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 can you fit this routine in? And so I think that's a really important piece too for when we've struggled with that, with parent participation. Yes, All right, so that was the social game part. And you said something great when we were doing our little pre-show talk with what a, what a difference social games had made for you with your practice because you ha- you practiced in a school setting and you've been in ho- home visits with under three for only about a year, right? Exactly. Yeah, so, and so I'm the social, pretty okay, used ahead. to bringing in my bag of toys or using their toys at home, and uh, it was really refreshing to read your book and really gear up my all my social games and get a whole bunch in my pocket because, yes, I was doing some, but I realized I could do a lot more, and so could the parents. That's the other huge piece is yeah, continuing to teach them. This is what you can do, and it's so easy. You can do it every day. You could do it while you change the exactly. diaper, et cetera. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And if we only know two or three social games, then how are we going to teach more than what we know? So we have to get a lot. And I've, I'm a broken record on this show. I say every therapist should have 10 to 15 social games. And I bet there are lots of therapists who have, and I told you this story before we were our little pre-conversation, Madeline, I was doing social games that felt like I was just a social game queen. And then I started writing or preparing uh, Teach Me to Play With You, that book, back in 2010. And so, like, in 2009, 2010, when I worked on that, I really thought, 
boy, I better practice what I preach here, and I'm doing a few little social games, but I'm just going to double down, and I'm just going to see if I can, how many, if I could just even do a whole 45 minutes of just social games. And, again, that was kind of a little personal challenge to me. And so I had to learn more games to really keep that going and keep it going. And for kids who didn't like toys at all, who also were not engaged with me, you have to have something else to do during the session. And so that's when I really just thought, man, I, I'm gonna, I'm just going to learn every little routine that I can, and I'm going to make myself do this. And it made such a difference not only for the kids, again, who didn't like toys and who weren't engaged and needed to work on the interaction piece, but I started doing social games with every kid that I saw and it made a significant difference because even kids who did not struggle with that interaction piece, you still strengthen that relationship uh, foundation that you were building with a little friend. And then they, they, so many kids just kept, I mean, I would notice that compliance was better. Even with kids that I just thought were kind of little stinkers, you know, they, they, just, they, were, so much be- they were so much more connected to me that I thought, you know, this is a real key to uh, any kid with a communication issue. It's, it's really, really, really just getting that social piece as strong and as established as we can get it. And so it sounds like that that's becoming really apparent to you <laughs> over yes, this last definitely. Are you using social games with lots of your other kids too? I am, yeah. And I pretty much always start with peekaboo. That is always the biggest hit to begin with for me. It is, it is. And so tell me about what other little routines. Do you have some other ones that you want to talk about, things that you have found to be real winners that are that are good ones for you? Yes, I was pretty much doing this before I read your book, but I like to read it and see the move-sit routine. I think that is huge for the little guys, especially the busy ones. So just going back and forth from a social game to playing with toys and to running around. Um, kind of the kids know, okay, we're doing this on the floor, and then we're going to run around and take a break. They kind of get used to that routine. That is one of my favorite things. I think that move, sit, move, sit, move, sit makes a big difference. And somebody emailed me and said, what word are you saying when you're saying after move? They couldn't understand that I was saying S-I-T. I I guess this is my deep southern dialect. (laughs) But it's (laughs) (laughs) You know, that just cracked me up. But meaning that you're getting up, you're doing an activity together, whether it, and you're saying that that's, you tie a lot of your social games into that. So what are some of your best move-around social games, Madeline, that, that are working great for you? I like the thro- like throwing and taking turns with throwing. We talked about that last time, especially with, with this little guy. And so your um, drop activity, I like. So dropping items into a bucket and making different sounds. Yeah, that's a big one. That's a great one, and kids love that. And it, and it's real enticing. And kids, busy kids, will stop to do that one. And it's kind of shocking when you see it because you think, how can just dropping things in a bucket work? <laughs> but it does. <laughs> it does. <laughs> yes. And same with the simple ah boom game. That is such a big hit as well. And that's a new one to me that I got from your book. So just yeah, raising I'll my boom. hand. It's a great little special game. Boom. I love that. Yeah, and and just tapping on the floor. And you can kind of change it up in different ways, too. So tell me how you're changing it up because, you know, I'm gonna, I'm, I'll be using this. <laughs> so what are you doing with that? <laughs> well, I'll do, like, 
I'll do a boom. I'll start with that, and then I'll switch the, switch up the words. I'll switch up how I'm we're hitting the floor. Maybe we're tapping the floor, or then we'll use our feet. That kind of thing. Just switching body parts too. Cute. That's a cute way to do it. Yeah, I like a boom. And let me just kind of talk about what that game is. It, first of all, it's been easy to play with you if uh, anybody's looking for kind of the written instructions. But you just look at a kid and you it's good if you get their attention especially at the beginning when this is a new routine and they don't know it yet but you just you know you get to you catch their eye contact and then you just raise your hands and say ah you know so both hands are in the air and then you say boom and you hit the floor or the table or the couch or the wall or the side of the bathtub or whatever and one two three-year-olds think that is hysterical and that one little action and I don't know if this your little guy got to this point but a lot of times when kids are running away from me I can say ah and it immediately brings their attention back they stop dead in their tracks and turn around like oh she's doing it she's doing that game (laughs) yeah I've also had a a lot of good eye contact during these types of games during the social games even with kids who do not respond to their name like this little fella. Right. Right. And that's the whole point of social games, really, to get that eye contact better. You're working on joint attention, meaning that you're both sharing that experience with each other. So that's their turn-taking is built into social games. You know, I do my part, you do your part. Attention, working on attention and and task participation is built in social games because, you know, those little routines all have a beginning, a middle, and an end. And so you're keeping a child, getting his attention, you know, through the beginning and then keeping it all the way to the end. You know, with peekaboo, that ends with boo or with a kid laughing that you've said boo and revealing your face. With patty cake, it ends in, you know, roll them up, roll them up, throw them in the pan. Uh, even little, little those little drop-in games that you're, they're, they're more turn-taking and social-based, they're paying attention to you. And so, I, I mean, I think it's such a great strategy because you're really working on building, you know, like I just rattled off five or six foundational skills. So super, super, yeah, exactly. super way to Yeah. Okay, so we talked about verbal routines and his his expressive language part. We talked about the social piece. Tell me about anything with the receptive language. Did anything come along with that? <laughs> so he understands routine directions now, such as cleaning up, which previously that was just not of interest. So now he right. he even knows when I say, okay, it's time to clean up, he will start. I used to have to at least, you know, model it first, and now he's doing it on his own. Awesome. But otherwise, receptively, it's, it's still a struggle Sure. to follow we would, most directions. Yeah. yeah, right. And, you know, and that makes so much sense. And let me just say this for therapists who are trying to connect the dots. For kids who like verbal routines, you know that they also benefit, you know, that's verbal routines. We're hearing an expressive outcome or kind of manifestation of this is how the routine, he's learned it, he, we've repeated it enough, he owns this routine. Same thing receptively. So when you have kids that are popping out a lot of those little words, but their receptive language isn't fantastic, you know that you have to tie following commands to really specific routines in the beginning. And they can't generalize what they haven't mastered in at least one context. 
So you know with those kids, I'm just going to have to do the same thing over and over and over and over. And that's how he learned clean up because it was predictable. You did it a lot, and that's what made it uh, relative and what made it make sense for him and why he could participate because he knew what to expect because that's his learning style. And you you addressed it and gave him exactly what he needed, yeah. So good deal with that. Very good. So anything else you want to talk about with this little guy? Because I, I kind of want to move on and talk about your other question because I thought it was so intriguing for this yes, next little guy. But, no problem. Okay, <laughs> good deal. All right, so tell me about this next kid that you were telling me about when we were talking before the show started. Yes, so this kiddo is three and a half. He has a diagnosis of autism. He was okay. silent until about... A few months before he turned three. Okay. He was just uh, not responding to his name. He's still not responding to his name. He likes to play with toys. He's very, very mellow and just kind of goes with the flow. And then all of a sudden, he started labeling words. Ball. Oh, wow. Ball. And even, yeah. even up to, he can tell you any shape. He can tell you, he can count to 20. He has all these great labeling skills but not functional communication yet. Yeah. Uh, And this happens, and let me just say, it's a really common thing. And, you know, as speech therapists, we're all kind of groaning, thinking, well, he's not really communicating, he's not functional. But we have to really look at the silver lining here. you got something to work with. (laughs) He is talking. He is trying to say words. And so for parents, too, I think sometimes we, as therapists, we're sometimes we're really the bearers of bad news <laughs> because they want to be so excited, and we're excited, too. But we have to keep it realistic with, it is fantastic, he's saying all these things, but he's really not using his words. He's just identifying. Like you said, he's just labeling. Yeah. And so then you have to create situations so that they learn to use their words and so they learn to have different pragmatic functions. And as a speech-language pathologist, we all know this word. Pragmatics means language use. And so for you parents who are listening, it's just how you communicate, how you use it. There's a big difference in seeing a banana on the counter or seeing a picture of a banana in a book and saying, banana! And then being able to walk into the kitchen and look at you and say, banana, as in I'm requesting that you give me a banana. Or when we ask a kid, you know, are you hungry? What do you want to eat? And they say, banana. They respond with that. So that's super, super different. So with those kids, you know, you've got to take all that language and teach them how to use it. So responding to a question. So even if you're saying, what's that, you're still labeling, and that's still the same pragmatic use, but it's just one little step beyond. Because I, I don't know if this little guy's doing that. Madeline, when you ask him with, with all of his new words that he can label, so when you say, what color is this, or what shape is this, he can respond to that, right? Sometimes. See, that's what I was going to say, because it's really, really uh-huh. interesting, because some parents, some don't sometimes don't get and here's the truth guys sometimes therapists don't get this either that when a kid is using a word only only to label that he's not even using it to respond so that's your next little 
pragmatic function that you address. So all those great words when you have a kid again who's just kind of he's an he's kind of using the hand and words, his own agenda talker. Yes. He's just talking not to communicate, he's just learned to say the word. The very first thing you do to try to make this more useful is to get a word that he can label and turn that into a response. And sometimes we go straight to let me turn it into a request and that works too. But and that's maybe this you know this the next thing but if you can get him to respond with his words that he already knows and use those preferences you know we all hate shapes colors numbers and letters <laughs> because they're not functional but sometimes that's all we've got to work with and it's a kid's right. fixation so we have to use it so what i would do is really try to get him answering a lot of um Questions using a word he already has. So what's you know what color is this? Mm-hmm. Ooh, what's that? You know those kinds of things. And remember that it, it's just a, a baby step beyond labeling. So that might give you a direction exactly. to go with him. And then the next thing really is getting him to use those words for requesting. And boy, that is so frustrating for so many of our little guys yeah. because they, that's what they're missing. They don't get that. Hey, I could just ask you for something using a word that I already know, and man, my life would get a lot easier. And so you just got to set up that requesting piece. Um, and some kids learn how to do it. Again, even even though they have words, they need a picture or a sign um to be just to kind of a multi layer with oh boy this is something i do i've got to do something to get something so that that's maybe not work that may not be good advice for this child but certainly some other children you almost have to get them to request using another modality <laughs> instead of their words before they kind of put together that requesting piece does that make sense yes definitely I was thinking about yeah, pictures so with this guy, even though he has, you know, over 200 words or so. Just because I know, and you feel like requesting verbally hasn't been working. Yeah, and sometimes you think, okay, and that's the only reason I'm suggesting that too, you know, and sometimes some parents think, oh, this is a big step back. And in a way that it is, but you've got to really establish that requesting almost non-verbally before they can link it with a word because that that's the part that he's missing. Is he doing a lot of pulling and non-verbal requesting with gestures, any pointing, anything like that? No. No, he will just look over to what he wants and he'll try to get it. So if I have, let's say, a bag of toys and it's closed, he'll reach and try to unzip. But then if I, you know, block him, he will just – he doesn't get very emotional. He's very indifferent. So I'm trying to get more of that. He's flat. That's what it is. It's just flat affect. And that's really part of autism is that that piece is absent. And so that's another thing that you try to work on with those kinds of kids is just really getting their arousal level. Um, You know, doing your social games, doing things that they like, really revving them up a little bit because that's certainly – something that will help otherwise because otherwise here's what happens when we don't work on that with kids parents just think they don't like anything they think they're bored and disinterested when that's not it they've just got a flat affect and so sometimes you have to really kind of really hype those kids up and get them pretty wound up before we start to see any kind of reaction and we do want kids to be regulated but he's he's on the other side of regulated again that low arousal it sounds like where where, yeah. 
You know, it just takes a lot to even get him hooked. And so when kids are like that, just think about how uh, they have difficulty processing language. It's not just that they're not using language. He probably has some trouble processing, too, because he's just not in an aroused enough state for things not to be, for things to really kind of get in there and penetrate that uh, disconnected little piece. So just some theory there that may or may not apply completely to him, but certainly kids like him. So this is this is what you asked me before the show. This is the question you asked. You said, what do you do about kids that are talking but that still haven't mastered all of those 11 pre-linguistic skills? And Madeline's specifically talking about the list that's in my therapy manual, Let's Talk About Talking. And so we were that's what we were discussing that I found so interesting and that I know other therapists and parents are thinking about because sometimes you do have kids who are saying a lot of words but you hit the nail on the head when you said he's talking but he's not communicating and so that's exactly. why yeah this is why because he's not he's missing some of those other things so what are some of those other 11 Skills. I bet you don't have that chart right in front of you, Madeline, but I do. <laughs> so, I do. <laughs> if you want me to run through that, do you want to run through that about this little guy, or have you already done that? Yeah, no, I can do that. So one thing that he does not consistently do is even even reacting to events in the environment. So if I if I show up and say hi, that is when I will get a look. Um, otherwise, okay. I'm not getting a response to his name. But even uh-huh. the other day, a kid scratched him, and he just had no reaction. Back to that flat affect. So, yeah. I mean, a lot can be going around, on around him, and he may be completely disengaged, or what seems to be completely disengaged. Yeah, and, and sometimes kids do that purposely. I mean, they stay shut down because everything is so overwhelming, and we can't forget about those kids either, that that's the reason that they're flat is because this incoming information is too much, and so you kind of think about the fight, flight, or freeze. They're kind of stuck in freeze with there's so much going on. I just, I've shut down. I've shut, like preemies do. And so we even see older kids that are up walking around, functioning, but they're still not really processing everything. And, again, that's just their sensory system difference. So is he getting OT? Yes, Good. sure is. Yeah. yeah, sometimes we miss the low arousal kids for OT. We just think about OT as a way to help kids calm down. <laughs> mm-hmm. But a lot mm-hmm. of kids have to rev up, and he kind of seems like he's in that category too, that he, yes. he just get it. He doesn't, he doesn't notice when so many things are going on around him. So what are you doing to kind of compensate mm-hmm. for that and, and work on with him? What, what strategies are you doing, you think, to help him react to events in the environment, or do you need some ideas? Um, I'm using his hand even when, like, kind of guiding him to what's going on or, you know, guiding him to even see me, you know, if he doesn't notice me when I walk in, if he doesn't notice something new, if he doesn't say goodbye to mom, just kind of guiding his little body. <laughs> but I yeah, give you some more ideas. This is a quote that. from Let's Talk About Talking, and I don't know, I, I don't know how I started saying this. I, I think it's you know, I, I don't remember when this happened. I don't think I heard it from anybody. It just popped out one day. But toddlers' eyes follow their hands. And so if you can guide them 
sometimes we take their little faces and try to, <laughs> I know we've all done it, but it's kind of embarrassing <laughs> to admit it, but we'll take a kid's head and try to turn it to what he's looking at, and you're so smart with, you realize, oh, the better way to do it is take his hands because a toddler's oh, yeah. eyes are <laughs> Yeah, so good one to remember. So that's something I that you can, like me. now are his, are his parents uh, more participatory? Are you getting, uh, are they joining you during the session? So this is actually a kid I see in daycare, um, oh, but okay. I, I speak with mom each, yeah, before and after each session pretty much. So she's very involved, and she's constantly telling me new things that are going on at home, and I'm telling her new things okay. that I'm seeing and what to work on. So she's very invested. Yeah, very good. You know, and a lot of times, I and I bet you've done this too in other therapists, when it's, when it's gosh, when you can do it, uh, and if a mom, and a lot of times I sort of put it on mom and say, you know, gosh, I would just give anything if we could figure out a way that you could meet me at daycare, that I could just, you know, for this one week we could both alter our schedules a little bit so that we can see each other face to face and do some things together. And I think those little those little things, even if you can only do it every couple months, every three months with the kid, that you don't have a lot of contact with the parents, you know, that can even if it's just you know fifteen twenty minutes where you're both in the same room and talking about their child uh, and while you're doing therapy, not necessarily in a meeting context. So, right. and again, that may not work for that family, but for any other therapist listening that you're real, really struggling with that. And I know kids that, you know, parents, again, they have jobs that they just can't do that. Uh, but if you could just, that that has made a big turnaround for me with a lot of families where I even felt disconnected from the family and like they weren't seeing all the great progress that I was seeing and they weren't able to carry it over because they, they didn't know, they really didn't understand from a phone call or uh, even, you know, a videotape or, you know, a, a video that I, you know, send on a phone or whatever. They just don't get it. So if, and again, that's through no fault of their own. It's I, I might not get it either with things that they're telling me at home that they're doing. So you have to, if you can try to get in the same room, even if it's, you know, again, once every six weeks, once every eight weeks, that, that seems to make a big difference. All right, so reacting to events in the environment. And then you are, with him, he's, he's following verbal cues pretty well or no? Not consistently, no. Okay. Okay, so I was going to say, as you're doing your tactile things, be sure that you're telling mom and teachers and everything, you know, oh, we've got to really link language with what he's doing so he learns to attend to our words in addition to where we're, you know, providing those little physical cues. So I'm sure you've already done that, but I'm mm-hmm. yes. making that point for other people. All right, what, what else is going on with him, Madeline? So he will tolerate turn taking but doesn't look to me to go for the back and forth exchanges yeah Yeah. and he's that kind of kid who would much rather play by himself and you find him by himself where all the other kids are playing together at daycare and it's really the same way even with me yeah yeah he'd rather just you know do a puzzle on his own or what have you sure and we mistake that attention that we're giving that activity with joint attention. And so it sounds like he's not, you know, he's not including other people, so joint attention is certainly something you're going to work on with him. How is he doing with social games? Not that interested. I'm a little stuck with yeah. this kiddo. Yeah, you know, he just doesn't really react. Say, or he, What's that? Yeah, you just, I would dig deep. Deep. 
yeah. goofy <laughs> and as arousing as you can be. You know, he might be a kid, too, that uh, you have to really be super physical with, even as far as kind of, you know, picking him up and throwing him around and just getting his little yeah. body into Actually, I'm glad yeah, yesterday I was teaching him how to jump with a little song, and he was loving it. That was the first thing I found that he was really into. He's not necessarily into the music, but he, he did like the physical piece with the jumping. So that's, what, that's what I would do. Every single game mm-hmm. with him, every single mm-hmm. every single activity I did with him, I would make it so as physical as possible. Now, you will not have to go. You That'll get better over time. But I would... Mm-hmm. I mean, he's a kid that I, I kind of, I just jiggle those kids <laughs> the whole time I'm with them. <laughs> but reaching over and touching them, I hold a lot of those kids. Does he? I don't know if you're a holder, uh-huh. Madeline, but does he respond to you holding him? He likes that. Yeah, sometimes he'll just, like, lean into me, you know, randomly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and kids, a lot of times kids like that, I mean, it's not great for eye contact and working on that social piece, but you are really what they crave and so I would do a lot of things with him where I'm holding him and doing hand over hand and so you do the puzzle three or four pieces like that to kind of get him going and then you mm-hmm. kind of switch around where you're still holding him but you're you're awkwardly putting your head <laughs> kind of down in front of their face where they're still remembering to check their face but that's that's something right. I would do I mean I would just be super physical with him and if you could run mm-hmm. with him before the session or jump or do think you know the mm-hmm. first five or ten minutes it's just going to be me revving him up and right do that I would work hard on you know go through we don't have time to do this today but go through the rest of your 11 skills and think okay yes. I'm going to prioritize and remember the skills at the bottom of the chart really do come first so skill number one, right. t- number two, number three, those lower numbers, and just think, how can I be physical with this activity to keep him involved with me? And then how am I working on this social piece? Because he's got to get the social piece or he's not going to use his words communicatively because he's got to understand, hey, other people are fun to be with and there's a lot of benefit in this for me with telling this person what I want. Exactly. So I think your social games and your sensory stuff is that's that's where I would focus my work with him especially and he's a guy you just started seeing right he's a new kid no no I've been seeing him for maybe seven months oh okay I misunderstood that yeah but that's where I would kind of back up to and we have to remember Mm -hmm. and then we'll wrap the show up that Backing up, anytime we're not moving forward, sometimes we think, oh, it's just because we're not working on something exciting enough. That's hardly ever it. (laughs) Back up and think about what are the foundational skills. Why is he not using these words he can say? Well, he doesn't really get the back and forth with other people. That means I've got to work on social games. I've got to work on turn-taking. I've got to work on uh, that joint attention piece and just kind of backing it on down. Right. Yep. Okay. That's the plan. <laughs> oh, thank you. thank you so much for joining me for today's show. Do you have any other little questions or or whatever or comments about him, Madeline, that even I can email you after the show? <laughs> no, that's okay. Thank you so much for having me. This was great. Oh, you're so welcome. And I I want you to keep in contact with me and let me know how this little guy's doing too. But thank you so much for sharing your experiences 
with your other guy, Madeline. Everybody benefits when we all talk about our hard cases because here's the truth. We all see the same kind of kids no matter where we live or where we practice or, or uh, again, it's pretty universal. So thank you so much for Thank you, Laura. Thank you.